What's up, people? It's me, your boy, Morgan. And with me is a very special guest. A uh, very special guest. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> hey, everybody. I am Derek McDuff. It's good to be here. Yeah, Derek is a uh, is a podcaster as well. He hosts a podcast about underrated movies um, that you, I'm sure everyone listening to this would enjoy. Derek, uh, please let them know uh, what your podcast is called and where they can find it. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, my podcast is called Underrated. Um, like you were saying, uh, we talk about kind of, you know, movies that are under the under the radar or underrated or ones that just people haven't seen um like we were kind of talking before we started recording our first episode was on speed racer which is one of my all-time favorite movies and it's one that just got destroyed the box office critics hated it but it's got a very special place in my heart but yeah you can listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts so wherever you're listening to this oh um go ahead and listen to it there or it's on youtube to all the normal places yeah, uh, like you said, the Speed Racer, very special place in my heart as well. Critically panned, monetarily panned. Mm-hmm. The narrative, I'll admit the narrative, not the best, but cinematography? Oh, the shots in that in that movie are astounding and are chef's kiss. <laughs> it's, I think it's one of those movies that's just really ahead of its time. Like, I think, like, if that movie had come out, you know, maybe 10 years later, I think people would have respected it because they were like a couple of years back when it was the 10th anniversary or whatever, there was all these think pieces coming out like, did we miss the ball on Speed Racer? Like, is it actually great? And, you know, I actually don't like, I actually kind of like like the kind of goofy cartoon throwback story that they have because it's very kind of like, oh, yeah, like this is fun and goofy, but it's also like, hey, capitalism is maybe kind of evil and these guys are bad. Like, watch out for like all this shady stuff that these corporate awful people are doing. And it's like, yeah, okay, maybe you had a you had a point there with like, you know, the rich, like, you know, getting super ahead and taking advantage of everyone else. Uh, So, yeah, I, I really like it on just across the board. 100% I, I agree with you. And like it was it very much had the same aspect to me as like 60s batman you know <laughs> yeah 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 kind of that fun colorful bright goofiness you know just kind of i love like the color palette in that because it's just so i think people like complained like oh it just looks like a cartoon it's like yeah it looks like a cartoon it's based on our cartoon it doesn't look like transformers where it's all gringe like grungy and dark and grim and just like optimus prime is murdering people and he's like i'm gonna rip your head off and it's, it's like no it's it's a fun cartoon movie where the sky is bright and i uh, just i love it oh yeah it's amazing um and like you know the the wachowski sisters did an amazing job with that film and i'm glad that the both of us love it and like you said uh capitalism bad great <laughs> <laughs> great message yeah. in that movie and honestly a message that i wish uh dc would do uh more <laughs> often with uh with a little a little man known as batman whose one oh. power is that he's rich <laughs> well well not as long as Zack snyder's around because i don't know if you know his politics but uh he's kind of a rand libertarian so that's a whole rabbit hole it really is, but um, for people listening to this, the reason why I mentioned that is we're gonna our jumping off point for this week, which anybody who listens to this show knows we always have a jumping off point, but we end up somewhere wildly different. But our jumping off <laughs> point this week is gonna be talking about the Snyder Cut again in the more narrative sense. We're not really gonna be reviewing it too heavily. There might be Derek might have some uh, ideas on the reviews and maybe some slow motion shots. But we're gonna be- <laughs> We were talking about the narrative, the the feel, the writer's perspective of this movie. So, Derek, um, 
let's start with the travesty that was the first one 2017 version did did you enjoy that or were you uh waiting and yearning for the snyder cut uh okay i i enjoyed it but not for the reasons that the movie intended i enjoyed it in the same way that i enjoyed cats or the room um it was i i watched it um i didn't see it in theaters um because why would i um, but one day, me and a couple friends who are also big nerds got really drunk and watched it and were like, what is happening right now? Like, this is insanity. Like, it's clearly a movie that had was like the 2017 one was very much like, you know, had scenes that were like very like shoved in there to kind of like fit this narrative in and just it's very hodgepodge of like, OK, there's here's a scene that's from Zack Snyder and there's the Here's a scene that's very Joss Whedon. The directorial styles don't match at all. And the plot is very bare bones. And it just, I don't, it just, it feels like, you know, they were just trying to get this thing out as quick as they could and not spend too much more money than what had already been spent on it. And well, put in this Russian family and that whole narrative arc is just the worst. I just, I, I really I really was like, well, I'm going to and I was just kind of getting drunk and laughing at it because it was just so over the top and ridiculous. And I just remember like just cheering whenever Aquaman would say something stupid, like not stupid because I loved it. But he would just when Aquaman like stops and looks up Batman. And he goes, my man. I was like, that's it. I'm fucking done. I love this. Like, this is so bad. And so it's a so bad. It's good. It's a good movie. Kind of, you know, I haven't revisited it since. I don't know if it would you know hold up but i enjoyed it for the not for the reasons that were intended i i completely agree with you unlike you i did see this in theaters i saw this opening day in theaters <laughs> for five dollars so you know i didn't lose too much money on this that's that's good uh, that's good not you didn't lose too much money unlike warner brothers who has lost a lot of money on this movie Oh, for real, they really did. But much like you, I enjoyed it because it was so bad, like the same exact way. I'm sitting there and the my man thing. Initially, I wasn't going to go see that movie. Like mm. I knew eventually I would have to see it because like nerd, whatever, like nerd cred and reviewing yeah, and yeah, whatever. Yeah. I was like, oh, I have to see it eventually. But I was going to put it off so long until the trailer happened and that one scene with Aquaman going my man I was like all right this is going to be dumb <laughs> <laughs> did you see the lego bat or the yeah the i think it was the lego batman movie um or the, it was maybe those lego movie too but one of in the one of them um they bring in Jason Momoa Lego Aquaman and they're like we're going to leave we're getting all the uh, uh the superheroes together um, we've got the cool Aquaman now, and then Jason Momoa does the voice, and you just see him show up, and he goes in the as his Lego, he goes, "My man!" And I like stood up and did like the Citizen Kane clap. I was like, <laughs> "Fucking yes, yes, good job, Lego movie." Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, like I I've seen the first one, and I think I I've, I've seen the second one, but I might have been drunk while watching <laughs> it. <laughs> But I've definitely seen it. I've seen almost every Lego Batman movie, like the ones that aren't like big theater ones okay, as well. Yeah, yeah. My favorite, besides the Adam West movie, like the Adam West Batman film, my second favorite Batman film is not actually the Lego Batman movie that was released in theaters. It's uh, it's Lego Batman Family Matters. <laughs> okay, okay. I've literally never heard of that, but it, t tell me about it. I'm interested now. 
so lego batman family it's partially because i love jason todd as a character like i love just his narrative journey in the comic books from being like this happy-go-lucky robin to becoming the red hood who is a complete polar opposite 180 from who he was as a kid you know so i i love that like you know that deep dive into that type of character and family matters is one of the only movies from the batman like mythos that has jason in it in a way that's not done that's a rehash of like under the red hood so you know and it's just and it's a great retelling it's pretty much just jason comes back but he's more of like an angsty whiny teenager who's angry at his dad and he's just (laughs) messing with the family for no reason See, I was always um, and still to this day am like a big fan of like Dick Grayson, like Dick Grayson, Robin Nightwing, you know, so um, anytime I get to see like him in a movie and like I DC will probably never do it because they just announce movies like like every other week. They're like, here's another movie we're never going to do. And they announced a Nightwing movie um, and I would but I would just die to see a a Nightwing movie because I he's probably my favorite just DC character in general because he's. To me, he's like if Batman was less like moody, like if Batman was actually kind of cool and like fun and quippy and like, well, I guess Batman is kind of quippy, but still just like he's he's not like broken like Batman is. He's like, hey, this is Batman if he was like a more functional person. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I completely agree. Like he's Dick Grayson is probably arguably the best former Robin that could become batman right like like that's how i always have to separate it in my head i'm like okay best robin is probably tim in terms of like just robin skills Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he's he's the best detective he's very smart even though all of them are geniuses but like he's got he's got that like detective part down Mm -hmm. like best former robin that could never be batman jason just for like the character development best former robin that could be batman nightwing and then there's the rest of them (laughs) it's like damien and all those guys yeah yeah you know jaro which i've seen so many people (laughs) recently be like best robin jaro i'm like it's a starfish (laughs) (laughs) hot take (laughs) so yeah i completely agree with that i did i loved the lego batman movie it was amazing but like so and HBO Max, I think, has most of like the weird, like straight to VHS or D- oh my gosh, I dated myself there for a second. Straight to <laughs> straight to. No, it's streaming. okay. I, I was I was a kid in the nineties too, so yeah. I remember the, I remember Return of Jafar. Oh gosh. Oh Lion King two with uh with Kovu. Oh yeah. <laughs> Like, well, my brain still does straight to VHS when, uh, whenever I think of things. But um, straight to streaming, I guess it would be now. Oh, my yeah, goodness. yeah. <laughs> HBO Max has like all of those, except I think Family Matters. I rented that for $3.99 from Amazon. <laughs> okay, okay, nice, nice. I wanted to see it so bad because somebody <laughs> told me about it. They were like, yeah, it's got them in there. I was like, okay, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I get that when you're like, what? It's got my guy in it? Okay, cool. I'm watching it. Like, And, you know, I get that with, like, characters and actors. Like, I recently watched the first two Scream movies for the first time. Um, and I, like, Timothy Oliphant is one of my favorite actors. And when I saw that he was in the second one, I was like, oh, my God, yes. Like, please. I don't care if he's playing a handsome cowboy or somebody else. Like, please give me more Timothy Oliphant. Like, that's the, he's just the best. 
Is, if I'm thinking about the right Timothy Oliphant, not that there are many of them, I think <laughs> I just saw a movie on Netflix called Girl Next Door with him in it. Like, was that I, okay? I think that he because I, I that's either him or the guy who looks exactly like him, which is Josh Dumel. I'm not sure which of them. I think it is him, and it's not Josh Dumel. Um, but because I've never actually seen that movie, but I remember it being a thing when I was younger. But that sounds right. Yeah, I think it's him because I was like, I was scrolling through Netflix, and I'm a big, I'm a big fan of rom coms. I love them. Uh, so yeah, it's, scroll- it is him. I just checked. Yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So when you said like scream, I immediately thought of Matthew Lillard because Matthew Lillard is in uh one of like possibly my all time favorite rom com of all time, uh Summer Catch with Freddie Prince Jr. and uh, Jessica Biel. <laughs> you got that. Uh, you got half the cast of uh, Scooby Doo in that movie right there. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's got a uh, Wilma Valderrama in it as well. It's an insane movie. Really? Okay. Wow. That yeah. I'm guessing that came out in like the early like between 2000 and 2005. I'm gonna put it somewhere in, with that cast. Bang on. It was uh like 2001. Okay. There we go. <laughs> prime. That was prime rom com years though. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was a lot of like honestly, it's interesting to see like the kind of like. Like growth and then like kind of like slow death of rom coms, because that genre doesn't really exist as like other than like Netflix originals. It's kind of gone away because it is exists in that mid tier of movies. Whereas movies now they're all either like the big budget like Avengers Endgame, Fast and Furious, or they're like A twenty four like stuff. You know the the you know the little the or like you know the midsummers yeah, and stuff like and, that yeah exactly yeah so the kind of mid-budget movies the movies that cost like you know 30 million dollars have all kind of disappeared everything is now like a couple million or like 200 million dollars like it's it's and rom-coms definitely fall right there in that middle category and also the kind of like star-driven pictures like yeah like because a lot of those rom-coms are like well what if adam sandler was dating drew barrymore you know they made that movie eight times um (laughs) and and like star-driven movies aren't really a thing anymore now it's kind of franchises so uh it's interesting to see you know netflix has kind of picked up the torch with that and you know they'll have like all their kind of like netflix rom-coms so um you know taking the place of you know straight to streaming like we were talking about uh, is kind of where those movies exist now. So it's kind of weird to see how they've changed ecosystems like that. Yeah, definitely. Like it's it's so much because I'm I'm a loving. I loved those types of movies because I like I like mid tier movies, like mm-hmm. because there's something you can put on in the background and you can, you don't really have to think about it. And some of them have very interesting like stories, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Summer Catches, it's a baseball movie, weirdly enough. Like it's a rom com on one on like maybe a ten percent or twenty percent of the movie is maybe a rom com. But mostly, uh Bradley has just joined us. He's uh he's just uh spectating. He might jump in every now and then with some with some ideas. Uh <laughs> but yeah, like in, in terms of the movie, it's actually it's a baseball film, you know. <laughs> okay. I can't I've never heard of it. It surprises me. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's like there's there's an entire thing of Freddie Prince Jr. is like this party boy who is trying to hit the major leagues and he's like blowing away every chance he's had to like, you know, to actually make it. And he's on his last shot and he ends up falling for uh, the daughter of like pretty much his boss while he's trying to make it pro. 
and there's like you know you get your rom-com like bad decisions and things like that in there but it's a great like baseball film and rom-com at the same time <laughs> it was, oh i think i think you got muted there uh <laughs> yeah so you know it's there there's a lot uh, a lot to it but Derek, do you have any uh any specific rom-coms that you yourself enjoy? You know, like I do like a lot of rom-com. Like <laughs> I remember when um the uh shutdown happened and like when it was like re- like the height of lockdown, you know, a little bit over a year ago. That was kind of like my, my thing was I was just like I'm just going to watch every like better than average rom-com. Like I just went through like all of them like because like so many of them are, you know, streaming. I think my favorite one that's kind of in that like, hey, this is just kind of like a fun rom-com. It's not like groundbreaking or anything, but it's it follows that same formula, but it does a really good job of that formula. Um, I think it's probably um, uh, definitely maybe. Um, have you seen it? I have. I have. Yeah, I, I really like that movie because it's just like, you know, kind of peak Ryan Reynolds and just kind of the late 2000s Ryan Reynolds, just swarthy, kind of just like charming, um, you know, and it just kind of hits all the the same tropes that you know and love from the rom-coms, but it does it in a way where you like all these actors, you know, it's got Rachel Wise and um, Abigail Breslin plays his little sister, and then um, uh, Isla Fisher is in it, and um, uh, I'm forgetting her name, um, She's in uh, Wet Hot American Summer, and uh, I don't know, but um, she's a famous actress. I'm just spacing, but um, yeah, just like a lot of great performances. Um, but yeah, that it just kind of does a lot of those rom commy things in a way that isn't necessarily fresh, but it is still pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, like I 100% feel that there there was that time where um and i'm not sure if this was like a studio thing or if it was like just kind of the the vibe of hollywood during the early 2000s but there was that time where almost every single male actor was kind of made to have this like frat boy persona you know (laughs) like every movie they did every like because i think it it blends in with like ashton kutcher's punked in that sort Mm -hmm. of way like they were pushing ashton kutcher as like this frat boy for so many years yeah like Bradley said it's, it's very much like a Marky Mark and, and like Leonardo DiCaprio thing from the 90s where they were like everybody's gotta have this sort of situation because like I was watching uh I was looking at through you know looking through rom-coms on HBO Max as I do on a Sunday night uh every now and then <laughs> and like I see like 15 different Ashton Kutcher movies right <laughs> It's, it's like keeping up with the Joneses and all this other stuff. And I'm like, it's the same character. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of like would do that because I remember I was actually working at a movie theater from 2007 to 2013. And like, I just remember like it was like at least, you know, a couple a year you'd have Ashton Kutcher like, oh, no, I married Cameron Diaz in Las Vegas. What's going to happen now? You know, just like they would just remake that same movie just over and over and over again, you know, because it was just like. Hey, it's like, you know, that mid-tier movie that kind of gets a return on investment. Ashton Kutcher was like a name when that was what was really driving the movies. And they'd always pair him with, you know, another, you know, big name leading lady. And, you know, that's what they would do. And they're, you know, pretty formulaic and easy to write, you know, you know, not that movies are easy to write, but like this is there's (laughs) kind of just like, I don't think you need you don't need to get like a big name screenwriter, a big name director. You can kind of just get whoever and. 
you know, like I you couldn't tell you a director of like any of those great ro- those rom-coms that I loved, you know, because um, yeah. they're, you know, like I have no idea who directed Definitely Maybe. And I think even if you told me the name of him, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, he's done this and this and this like I would be able to with a lot of other directors, you know. Um, Run fast, though, kind of we circle back because we were talking about baseball movies, the baseball rom-com, and we kind of went kind of the rom-com route. But I, I was, um, I think that baseball movies are really, really interesting. Um, and so there was this actually this really good video essay that I watched uh, a couple weeks ago by Patrick Willems, who is one of my favorite YouTubers, um, podcaster guys. Um, he did this really interesting video essay call about how like baseball is the most interesting movie sport. Um, and I'm yeah. a big sports guy. But I'm not a big baseball guy like my dad watches it a lot and I'll watch it if he's watching it. But I never will like turn on a baseball game. But movie baseball is so interesting just because the the structure of it works really well for film. And you've I think that's why, you know, you can everybody you can kind of it's not confusing like football is to outsiders. You can kind of just get the um, get the rules of it pretty quick. You can see everybody's faces. Um, and you have so many great baseball movies, you know, you have like the natural and, you know, Moneyball and, you know, Field of Dreams and all everything else Kevin Costner was in in the 90s, you know. And uh, I remember like he was kind of like asking on Twitter, like, what's your favorite baseball movie? And a bunch of people were like, Hook. Uh, so even <laughs> like that, you know, like like stuff like from Hook, you know, but I, I really um, think that baseball lends itself really well to like just kind of the medium of film the way it's kind of like there's no clock it's kind of you know it's like they it's all comes down to like one per like the pitcher versus the hitter and it's kind of it lends itself to that drama um do you have any other favorite baseball movies definitely um i okay i am also a sports guy as well literally before we were recording i was watching the uefa like you know finals for uh yeah yeah yeah. soccer but i am a i'm a also a large baseball fan as well like uh my family's big baseball people my grandmother was a diehard Mets fan I'm I betrayed her by becoming a Yankees and a Mets fan um (laughs) but I I love a movie and I watched this recently called Undrafted which Mm -hmm. is legitimately one of my favorite baseball movies of all time and it's this little indie movie that is just about a baseball player who didn't get drafted like he it's the day of like the baseball draft and he misses out and he just wants to finish what he thinks is going to be his last game of baseball. And it's like an intramural summer league. And it's just all this drama. And it's based off of a, a real story of an actual player who now teaches, uh, who now I believe coaches elementary school out in Long Island, but it's his story of how he didn't make it pro. And it's amazing. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Nice. Yeah, but uh, uh, another one I got to throw out there too that is I forgot to mention before, um, the Sandlot. Like, yes, oh my gosh, <laughs> such a good movie, you know, and yeah, it it really, you know, like just the way that you know, and the way that you know, kind of baseball, like there, everybody's in the dugout, and you know, you're all kind of there on the team, and you know, the way that it is kind of just like a marathon, and you know, there is so much story to tell with these baseball movies. Um, yeah, like. There, there's. I think that there are so many more baseball iconic movies than anything of any other sport. Maybe there's a there's a few good sp- uh good football ones. There's one or two good basketball ones, but like the the just amount of amazing baseball movies that you have is just kind of you know you know like Major League Rookie of the Year, 
um, all these movies. Yeah, like Bradley said, Hardball as well. Great, great movie. Mm-hmm. It's like it, I think it, like you said, the lack of a clock lends itself very well to baseball because you like in the back of my head if i'm watching remember the titans or something like that and they're talking about the next play i know that there's like there's a play clock or i know that there's like a quarter time you know like and it it helps to to boost in certain like i think they're written differently like different sports films should be written differently and some Mm -hmm. succeed in doing that and some of course fail where they feel very generic um but like very good ones write with the with that sport in mind and but baseball films it like you said it is about it's more cerebral it's a cerebral game where you can really get into a player's head or into a manager's head in in the case of moneyball or you know and really think about like oh this is coming down to this last guy it's coming down to the wire we're two outs bases loaded we're down by four you know if we hit this we win and it's it becomes something so beautiful when it like when it actually pulls off and i and there might be uh there might be like an extra added layer to myself and other people who've, who've played baseball or who are very big fans of baseball because when i'm watching a baseball film i'm i'm thinking about like times where i've been sitting there on the edge of like a grand slam and it slipped through my fingers or that moment right. where you actually hit it and you like there's nothing better in your mind than hitting that perfect ball it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just reminds me of this story my dad would always tell because he, you know, he he plays to he's like I was saying a big baseball fan and he used to play it a little bit like you know not like and like any professional level just like you know intramural stuff with like my uncle you know decades yeah. ago before I was born and he always he's a weird dude and he always he has a very distinct way of speaking he would always tell the stories like he's like you know Keith Keith that's my uncle he's, he's out there on second base right and I'm up on the plate there's two outs and it's the bottom of the ninth. And they switch to me, and I just hit wham. And you know, RBI. He comes. It was like the universe was coming to me. I just knew I was going <laughs> to hit this ball and win the game. It was. I was. You know, I could just. I could see it before it happened. <laughs> and it is kind of like poetic baseball. You know, like there's that line in Moneyball where Brad Pitt's like, "How can you not be romantic about baseball?" And it, it's true. Yeah, it is, it's definitely uh, like I'm like your uncle said. I've definitely had that moment where it's almost like the world like like everything slows down around mm-hmm. you and you're one like when they say keep your eye on the ball there's this moment when you're when you're playing baseball and you're under pressure and there's so many things riding on your shoulders and you just let it all go you you almost enter like a zen zone which i've i've done a little bit of surfing so i like so i also feel that in that sort of way as well where there's this zone that you enter and everything slows down and it's just you and the ball and the bat and the bat becomes one and you just knock it out of the park. And you it does feel like you can see it before it happens. And it's, everything is just lined up perfectly and it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but not to put you under pressure, mm. but if you were, because I know you're a story and ideas person, if you were to come up with a premise right now for a baseball film, what would you do? <laughs> Ooh, that's that's a good question. Um, so it could, it could be anything. It could be a true story, I guess. Um, I mean, I would probably, you know what? Okay. Just drawing on my own um, knowledge of baseball, uh, I would probably write it about, because I'm a big Angels fan, um, you know, raised okay. here um, in Southern California, but was born in Anaheim. Um, oh. yeah, yeah. So uh, I, uh, the, tw- the 2002 um, 
uh, championship by the Angels because, which is interesting because they already made a movie out of that year, um, a baseball <laughs> movie, Moneyball. Um, you know, in the same division, no less. Um, but the Angels were the wild card that year, and they were kind of just these, you know, kind of like you know the same way that the um, um, the A's were that year, just kind of like really big underdogs. They had never won, you know, they'd been in the league since the sixties. They'd they'd never won anything. Um, to just and just kind of like have this, you know, because who doesn't love an underdog sports movie? They're the best, and to have. Yeah. Them kind of go up against you know Barry Bonds when you know he was at the kind of height of his let's say uh, um, you know he had some he had some additional support there um, <laughs> and they went up against them in the World Series you know this this kind of you know uh, I don't know if you know this being from the East Coast but there is a little bit of a rivalry between you know the Southern California Northern California which are kind of like embodied in you know the LA area which is you know um, Anaheim LA area and then kind of you know. San Francisco. So this it was the dreaded Giants, you know, up again. Even though they're more of a Dodgers rival, they're still kind of rivals to us down here in Southern California. So that kind of just all that building up, you know, I think that would that would make for a good a pretty good sports movie, I think. Pretty good baseball film. I think so too. I think that I think that would be a really good uh sports movie. And I would be very uh, very sad if you don't write that next year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like um but since you've said that you are uh, that you're from Anaheim and there, I don't know if you know this, but there is a sports movie set in Anaheim. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I am aware. I am aware. Is it but actually set gonna... in Anaheim? Because I know that, like, it's it, okay. Yeah, it is. Because they were, they're, yeah, they're already. Because I was thinking, oh, that I was like, they, no, the Angels were around. Because it was the Ducks were named after the movie, but this, this, this the other way around for Angels in the outfield. Yep. Oh, 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 what I'm going to ask you about is, uh, is a little little known film called The Mighty Ducks, but not the one you're thinking about. I'm thinking about the animated one with actual ducks. <laughs> oh, man, I mean, I've seen that, but not in the past 25 years. <laughs> so I love that. I love that thing. I have it on VHS. Um, and recently they put the show on Disney Plus. Hmm. <laughs> And this this thing was insane. I don't I don't understand who greenlit this. I don't know how it made it past so many people. (laughs) It's crazy because it's like, okay, they're like, we had we have a movie about a team that is called Ducks that and they play hockey. And then Disney's like, all right, they're 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 called Ducks, right? Yeah. So how about there would be actual Ducks? Okay, And they're also from space. And they nope. still play hockey. And it's just like, what? Uh, okay. And that's just like the things I remember about it. Like, I just remember them like hitting like slap shots and they would turn to like laser beams and stuff. Like, I don't know yeah. what was going on, but like, yeah, I remember watching that on like, you know, the show, especially on Saturday mornings, you know, just there's a lot of anthropomorphic ducks on Saturday morning cartoons, especially in the 90s. You know, like you've got, of course, you know, your daffies and all that. But then you also had, you know, DuckTales and Tailspin mm. and this. So uh, I don't know. Darkwing, a, Darkwing, Darkwing, duck, of course. How can I forget Darkwing duck, you know, getting dangerous. So well, just weird how many ducks were like anthropomorphic ducks were just a big thing in our childhood. <laughs> really? Like it's um somebody brought up recently. Kind of, I was having a conversation with somebody about uh, music, and and it led into uh, a goofy movie, like most things do. 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually have a shirt that's like the, the concert shirt. And it says like Powerline, like live, and yes. it has like Live ninety four, and it has like the tour, like the tour dates on the back and stuff. Yeah, because Tommy Two Tone did not need to go as hard on that like soundtrack as he really did. <laughs> like, like, it's iconic. I remember it to this day. Yes, and we were we were talking about music, and it led to Goofy Movie because they went through. They were talking about like soundtracks, and I think this has become a thing on TikTok as well, where people are talking about soundtracks to movies that didn't need to be as good as they actually are. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And we were, and it, of course it hit. Of course we hit Tarzan. Of course we hit uh, Lion King. You know, and then I brought up. I was like. Yeah, Powerline, the greatest, the greatest song. Because I love a goofy movie because much like sports movies, a goofy movie is a skateboarding film as well, on top of being just this kind of coming of age, you know, like (laughs) road trip film. And I'm a big fan of skateboarding. I don't know if you are as well, being a Southern California person. (laughs) I had a lot of friends. I never really skateboarded myself, but like I grew up around that culture a lot. A lot of my friends still do it. um, So I'm definitely very familiar with it. Yeah, so, you know, it's a skateboard film, which I love, um, and there, I wish there were more, honestly. We don't, we don't have enough of those. Um, and somebody brought up, uh, somebody brought up El, Road to El Dorado, and, and they were like, this is the best soundtrack. So I want to ask you, what's, what was your favorite soundtrack from the 90s or from our childhoods that didn't need to be as good as it was? Oh, man, I mean... You you got a good one there with like Road to El Dorado with like Hans Zimmer and like um um oh my gosh why am I spacing on his name uh, John, Elton John um yeah. like that's that is pretty iconic um from okay so something for, okay so I was you know what um I'm I'll say. Moulin Rouge because that Ooh. movie I I think it's a good movie like I don't think it's a bad movie and that is you know like I was like a when did that movie come out like 2002 2001 okay so yeah I would have been 11 when it came out I didn't see it till later on but still um could, and the reason I say that is because I do not like jukebox musicals and for anybody listening who doesn't really know what that means it's basically the musicals where there's no original music and they're just singing other people's songs it's like all right, here's like, you know, like we're like um like we're singing all the Beatles songs, but like we're, there's a character named Jude, so we can have the excuse to sing "Hey Jude," you know. Um, ah, yeah, so yeah. those are really pretty clunky, and they just kind of like feel like they shoehorn a lot of stuff in. But man, they like like the way they recontextualize all these iconic songs and like put them in, and like you know you and Ewan McGregor is such a good singer, and when he like belts out like Roxanne and just. <laughs> The soundtrack in that is just so good. Like as and and it really takes this movie that's kind of like a fun, just kind of wacky Baz Luhrmann movie and elevates it to just like a great film, in my opinion. Like I would think I think easily his best film. And I think that's really what sets it apart um, from a lot of his other movies is just that just banger soundtrack like that just kills. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand like i i watched moulin rouge because of philip defranco right like mm-hmm. <laughs> on, a, on a podcast episode philip defranco had mentioned how he he like believed in love because of moulin rouge and i was <laughs> like 
you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. Maybe I'll check it out because I'm I'm a fan of musicals. Um, mm-hmm. Little Shop of Horrors is my favorite musical. So, you know, and the movie's pretty banger. So mm-hmm. I was like, sure, I'll 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 see what's going on. I'll see what the hype is about. And I loved it because I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. But if you're when you when you say that you you dislike uh, jukebox musicals, do you how do you feel about, um, I guess, number one, the Sweeney Todd movie with Johnny Depp and um, what's her name? I forget her name. Helena uh, Bonham, Bonham Carter. Carter. Yeah. And number two, how do you feel about yesterday? I believe it was called where, uh, where the guy <laughs> pretends to have written all of the Beatles <laughs> songs. So like I I I was don't remember. Uh, it's been like. I haven't seen um, Sweeney Todd since like it first came out. So I, I, yeah, I was not a huge fan of it. Um, I was friends with, I was actually a theater major briefly and yeah, it came out in that small window of time. And just like everyone around me um, was really insufferable about that movie. So I think it colored my view of it in that way. Um, and then, uh, sorry, what was the second film you said? Uh, yesterday, which I, I yesterday. came out a right. couple years ago. So yeah, yeah uh, 20, 2019, I want to say. So that movie I haven't seen, and it just seems like insane to me. Like I just, I, I want to, I kind of want to see it out of just like what could this possibly be? Because uh, like it's one of those movies you see the trailer and you instantly you're just like I have a million questions. Like if you know if. If the Beatles never existed, then how could Ed Sheeran exist? And like, if the Beatles weren't around, wh- how were the Rolling? St- what were the Rolling Stones doing? And it's just like, well, if the Beatles weren't around, then what? <laughs> then who? Who did Paul? Like, was Paul McCartney a thing? And did he, did he ever cover that? Like, um, that gun? That one? Did he ever do that one song? Then Guns and Ro- that for the Live and Let Die? Did, and then did Guns and Roses ever pop- cover that? And did Guns and Roses ever get more popular? So did we have Guns? It's just it's one of those movies that you just like if you think about it for like thirty seconds. You're like, I have so many questions and I'm sure that the movie absolutely answers zero of those. <laughs> and, it definitely uh, doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And Danny Boyle is also one of those directors that I think is really hit or miss. Like, I think and I've said this on like a couple other podcasts, but he really needs to be working with a very talented writer. Like he needs to like his two best films, in my opinion, are um, probably um 28 days later and sunshine both written by uh, alex garland and his movies that aren't like written by you know like you know like even stuff like slumdog millionaire which i know won best picture um it's you know it's it's fine um he's he's a talented director who will like deliver you know a movie but i don't think he's you know in that kind of category of just like next level directors that he gets put in sometimes Oh, definitely. I how you feel about Danny Boyle is how I feel about Mick G most of the time. <laughs> where where I'm like, because everybody, of course, they tout Mick G for like Supernatural or whatever. And mm-hmm. the first season of Supernatural, yes, yeah, great. It's it's a great like narratively written thing. But I think Mick G, he's a good director in sometimes for action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he needs a good writer to really bring the like story to him and be like, hey, we need you to get here. Uh, and yeah. then however you do that visual is up to you, but we need you to get here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that's a lot of the reason why a lot of um, the kind of music biopics don't work um, is just because, you know, they are kind of like, besides just them being like the most formulaic movies ever, like they're all the same movie, just like, and they don't really have a established endpoint. It's just like, okay, we're just going to play like the greatest hits of this person. Um, 
but a movie that I think is a really good musical movie. And this was one I didn't mention at first because it didn't really come out until I was in my like late teens. I didn't see it until I was in my 20s was once because I think that's a that's one of those kind of, you know, like pretty good like rom-coms that just has an insanely good soundtrack. Like I remember the year it came out, it got nominated for uh, I remember the the category for best song. Um, It was like a couple enchanted songs and a song from once. I was like, okay, cool. Well, Enchanted's going to win this because I had seen Enchanted at the time and I hadn't seen once. Um, yeah. But once ended up winning and I was like, okay. And then after seeing it, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, this is a really good musical movie. Also Enchanted. Like, that's a good, that's a good, so has some really good songs. It um, really does. <laughs> that's, that's a movie because I remember I saw Enchanted. I was in high school when it came out and I was going with my girlfriend at the time and I was like, okay, like she's going to like this Disney movie and I'll just kind of go with her. Just, you know, I'll have fun. And I ended up loving it way more than she did. I was like, this movie's incredible. Like, like I am, I was so on board for Enchanted. I, I love that movie to this day and I'm really excited for the sequel. Oh, I'm so happy that somebody else also feels that way. But <laughs> I like, I, I don't think I've met somebody who dislikes the movie, mm-hmm. but most people either don't remember it or they're like indifferent towards it. Yeah. It's kind of just kind of like faded out of a lot of the public memory, you know? Yeah, and it's it's very much a shame with with that with um with with another movie that I I quite enjoyed for mainly for one song, but the the rest of the soundtrack is very it's very good and like it it hits all of my beats for a movie that I enjoy, especially when I was younger. Uh, Treasure Planet, the like Disney version, like the animated Disney version of it. Like that's the movie I've been literally meaning to see for about 20 years. And I just have not gotten around to it for whatever reason. It's so good. And it it does. It has some really good songs to it. It's like it hits all the boxes that like young me and even me now loved with like got sci fi, you got space, you got pirates, you got everything that I loved was right there in that movie. (laughs) So speaking of like Treasure Island adaptations that are just have incredible songs in it. Um, do you think that it's better or has better songs than Muppet Treasure Island? One of my favorite movies ever. Nothing has better songs like than Muppet Treasure Island. Like it's I love. Oh, so good. Is <laughs> it like I love? Oh my gosh, the Muppets. Um, what is it? Where Big Bird disappears or something? Oh, oh um, uh, like it's called like Bird on the Run or something like that yes like the muppets have such good movies (laughs) yeah they really do like every time they like come out with like an adaptation of something like a muppets christmas carol or like you know like even if it's like an original thing like the muppets movie with jason siegel like those are all great but i think that the best one has to be muppet treasure island it's just so iconic and hilarious like i've watched that movie so much as a kid and i will still go back to it as an adult it's hilarious like Tim Curry is so good. Like upstage boys. This is my only number. Like I like all the fourth wall breaking, you know, that everyone is doing. I saw this really great quote. and I wish I could remember where, but it's like you can tell a lot about a person by what they know Tim Curry from. And for me, it's Muppet Treasure Island. But if you like talk to somebody like, oh, what th- Tim Curry, what do you know him from? And some people will be like, oh, Clue or like they're like, oh, um, uh, you know, um, Rocky Horror, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, but for me, it's definitely like the first my go to always my go to is Muppet Treasure Island. He is as long John Silver is just giving the performance of his career. OK, OK, yeah, yeah. OK, so on the same vein as Tim Curry and what people know them 
from Rick Moranis. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. Growing up as like, so me as a kid, you know, um, I remember him from um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay. Yes, uh, yes. So I, that was an iconic <laughs> movie for me, you know, and like later on, it was, you know, like Ghostbusters and Spaceballs, but he's always going to be the dorky dad scientist, you know, um, Zelinsky, uh, Rick Zelinsky, I think is, was his character's name. Yeah. Uh, like to this day, I still, I see him and I'm just like, there he is. And I just can picture in my mind, like the cover of the, like the VHS where he's got like those big, he's got like the magnifying glass glasses and he's like looking at like his shrunk kids and he's like, oh no, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that for sure is my Rick uh, Moranis. Okay, perfect. Yeah, like I, I also have the the same uh, memory of Rick Moranis as well. Like I think I've only met maybe two people in my life who have said to me that they remember Rick Moranis from Master of Disguise, and not from anything else. <laughs> Wait, he that's uh that's that's Dana Carvey. Is that is Dana Carvey? That, that's Dana Carvey. Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> like I've had literally, I had a girlfriend say that to me. And I never saw this movie. So in my oh, brain... Oh, it's terrible. It's horrible. <laughs> in like, my brain, I my entire life... As a kid, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've thought that was Rick Moranis this whole time. Because people have said this to me. <laughs> There's this really weird part in it where he, like, makes it... Because it was like... It, that movie came out, like, 2002, 2001, like... Like right after Shrek, and it was like, okay, like there's a weird like wink wink to the fact that he used to be on Wayne's World where he does like a bad impression of Shrek. He's like, I do an impression of Shrek, you know, because he's doing this weird like pseudo Eastern European. It's it's one of those movies that it's just like I remember watching a lot as a kid, and then I went back to it as an adult, and I was like, this is horrible, like <laughs> god awful. It's it's kind of that it was a weird time for that because Mike Myers, of course, did he did Austin Powers, but then he did Cat in the Hat, which <laughs> <laughs> they're like the Grinch was such a success. We need to replicate it. Yep. Who which else I'll is wacky? <laughs> which I'll be honest, I didn't hate Cat in the Hat as much as people as other people did. Like it's not a good movie. It's not. <laughs> yeah, no. But it's funny in the way that it's horrible. Like it is, yeah. he's the villain of that movie, and I've learned this <laughs> as I've gotten older. Like, <laughs> and when you think about it in that way, and you're like, okay, yeah, let me just watch a bad guy be horrible to these children and like ruin this family's life for like an hour thirty. It becomes one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> that's that's really great. <laughs> Like, and it might have helped that I was like eating gummy bears, like soaked in vodka at the time. But I mean, that'll do it. That, yeah. Like, I don't like, you know, I don't know if I would have enjoyed Justice League if I had been had to watch that movie sober. You know, same thing with Cats. Like, I've watched that movie twice, and both times I was under the influence of a lot of alcohol. Not enough, probably, but still. Cats. Oh my. Okay, I've seen. I've recently seen the movie for Cats. I didn't go see it in theaters. I was supposed to with uh, with a girl that I was dating at the time. And then I just was like, hey, how about we go see John Wick instead or literally <laughs> anything else? <laughs> like, yeah. But I have I've seen the Broadway version like mm-hmm. on like VHS or something that somebody brought because it was like out of it was off Broadway by the time I was old enough to go like appreciate it. Um, but then my mom was like, you're old enough to see this very horny musical, but 
but it won't give you any weird furry complex no no not the pink shame that but you know i'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who you know saw that musical as kids and now you know they they have certain preferences oh yeah it's like it's almost like uh space jam for for a bit of a younger generation (laughs) yeah space jam or then um like uh uh, there's this other podcast I listen to called The Weekly Planet. And they have like kind of a running joke between the two hosts about which of them is attracted to Maid Marian. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Nick Mason is constantly. <laughs> there you go. Yes, there you go. You know it. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I love I'm holding it. up a mirror and it's actually you who's attracted to her. <laughs> Like it's which I I understand to a certain degree. I loved the Robin Hood movie of uh with the foxes and everything. I loved it. It was great. And I can see I can see where people went down that route. I can see what happened. <laughs> Disney so, was really pumping it out. <laughs> I remember watching I don't remember what movie it was, but I was seeing with my family, it was probably like a Marvel, I think it was maybe Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or something. Mm. So it's been around that time. And one of the I was sitting um, right next to one of my brothers, because um, I have two twin. I have twin brothers. They're they're younger than me. They're twins, oh. and um, so we're watching. And the trailer for Zootopia comes up, and it's like the first reveal trailer. And one of my brothers leans over to the other one and goes, "Hey, I would fuck that rabbit." <laughs> oh, no, I just kind of like lean and look forward to him, and he's like, "What? It's a hot rabbit." I'm like, "Okay, dude." <laughs> You know, you know, I can listen, Disney or Pixar, they know what they're doing sometimes. And it's it's uncomfortable. Like Roxanne from uh from Goofy from Goof Troop or Goofy movie. Okay, I was like, I will I will give you that one. <laughs> I will give you that one. Yeah, like even and of course Lola Bunny, of course, yeah, we don't even need to bring Lola Bunny up. But even <laughs> recently, the Looney Tunes show. Mm-hmm. that aired on cartoon network where they're all like you know where where they're like adults and they're like middle-aged or something they're all like hitting 40 almost and bugs is like <laughs> living in his house and daffy or uh yeah daffy's like d- crashing on his couch or whatever and they're all dealing with like trying to date in their 30s and whatever <laughs> and I, I was too, i'm sorry i don't know if i can allow to cuss but no that's too real <laughs> I know, right? And they're like, this was maybe 2010 that this show happened? No, no, no. <laughs> and it's such a good show. <laughs> they all also have, like, student loans and, like... Pretty much. Their, like they're... Their lives are ruined by the economic crash of 2008, like... Yes, and like Lola Bunny's this like vapid airhead rich girl, but like Daffy's dealing with like going broke because they have money from like the show. Like that's how mm-hmm. uh Donald has like or no no uh bugs. That's how Bugs affords his house, is like he's getting royalty checks. And like Daffy has blown all of his. <laughs> so he's like crashing on Bugs' couch and he's trying to date uh they I don't know if they introduced her in this show or earlier in the Looney Tunes lore, but like uh what's her name? The other duck that like Daffy's trying to, to date and she's like this kind of mean she's like a mean girl type of duck who's <laughs> like like who's very like rude and she's like and Daffy's one hundred percent head over heels for her and everything. And it's like they made her attractive to a level that was like, this is uncomfortable for me. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I can't watch this. (laughs) Giving me a lot of confused feelings right now. Yeah, like they did like the long hair, like with the like the attitude, because I'm I'm very much uh, I loved Avril Lavigne when I was younger. (laughs) Okay, okay. 
and the personality that they were given that they gave this duck is 100% dead on like Avril Lavigne in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> so it just hit right on all cylinders for you. Yeah, and I was like, I'm uncomfortable right now. I don't know how to <laughs> deal with this. And like, I watched it again recently because people were, t- I think Kristen Wiig voices Lola Bunny in that oh, show. Okay, wow. Yeah, and it and she's hilarious in it. Like it's yeah. a very funny show, but it also gets dark with like the way that they they treat certain things. Like they discuss like uh you know people being obsessed with people they're dating at one point. Like they they cover a lot of stuff for a kids show. And like I went back to watch it because it's on HBO Max, mm-hmm. and I was I was sitting there. I was like, huh, that this is still hitting, and this duck is still uncomfortably attractive. Eight years <laughs> later, I'm like, I don't like this. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, like it's um I don't I don't know how much time you have left. Uh Oh yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm I can I can keep going. <laughs> okay, okay. So I don't, I don't want to like step on your your food time or anything like that. Um but you mentioned the Grinch. Mhm. Earlier. Uh are you a big fan of the the Jim uh James Carey Grinch? <laughs> uh no, I actually rewatched it. I I think I liked it when I was a kid, but yeah, I rewatched it uh, this Christmas, and my brother's like, "Oh man, this is." He's like, "Going." He's like, "This is such a good movie. Like, this is incredible." Blah blah blah. I'm like, "This is not even. This is like, like Ron Howard's pretty hit or miss, and this is a real miss. I feel like, like I was, I can appreciate like the like the technical aspect, like the way they did." Like just all that stuff, just you know, with practical effects, and it took them like you know eighteen hours or however long it was to get Jim Carrey in that horrible costume. But um, yeah, no, like it was, I did not enjoy that movie at all. Listen, I I haven't seen it in maybe fifteen years, uh, so uh, so I I refuse to watch it again. I watched the uh like the animated version, like the thirty minute long animated mm-hmm. one. Every that holds year. up. That's great. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, Boris Karloff and the oh yeah, because it's so good. But like I, my Christmas films, because this is uh this is where this question was going. My Christmas movie is Polar Express. Every single year, I watch this movie, and people have very polarizing opinions on Polar Express. Are you creeped out by it, or do you like it? (laughs) Uh, I okay, so I haven't watched it in its entirety, but I've definitely seen parts of it, and it is very unnerving. It is very uncanny valley. (laughs) With all the like, all they have all these. Every character has like weird dead dog eyes that are just like staring into your soul through the screen, and they're just like creepy. And it's also kind of weird that like, like Tom Hanks is the voice of every character because Tom Hanks is obviously <laughs> an incredible actor and incredible voice actor, but he's not somebody like you know, like you know Mel Blanc or somebody who could just do all these different voices. All of his characters kind of it's like oh. Ah, now it's Tom Hanks being a hobo, and now it's Tom Hanks being a conductor, and now it's Tom Hanks being a Santa Claus, and you're just kind of like, all right, this is all just kind of one variation of the same voice, you know? Like, it's not like, even when you watch, like, something like The Clone Wars and Steve Bradley Baker doing, you know, clones of the same guy, it's like, he does, you know, you do he does feel distinct between each of the characters, whereas this is just kind of like, yeah, there's this is all just Tom Hanks, and really really uncanny valley like it's kind of like hits at some of i think zemeckis's just worst tendencies where he's just like become has become like weirdly obsessed with like like this specific technology of like motion capture which can be cool like i love the adventures of tintin for example like i think that's an incredible film 
but I think the technology hadn't quite hit it yet in like by the time they came out with Polar Express and just like it I don't know. I, I get why something like Beowulf was mocap because it's a big action movie and he was doing all these things he couldn't really do. But like, I don't really see why Polar Express was a weird mocap movie. Um, I don't know. Zemeckis's like back half of his career is just kind of like, you know, other than maybe flight. I'm just like, I don't know if I like any of this, honestly. <laughs> see, I think I might I might be uh, I might be a Zemeckis or a James Cameron like brain because i don't think i get uncanny valley like when i like when i saw that movie i felt like i didn't feel unnerved even a little bit Mm. and then like alita battle angel happened and a lot of people of course were very um very uncomfortable unnerved by like the eyes they were like it's too like it's not human enough but it's it's like too close to human like they were getting a lot of uncanny valley from it and i didn't even notice (laughs) Mm, yeah I, like, I I like stuff a lot when it's like really stylized. Like I think that's one of the things I really like about Speed Racer is that it doesn't give me an uncalian valley feeling because it's like, yeah, this is not going for realism at all. Whereas like if it's just like, you know, big and fantasy and like, you know, just kind of like otherworldly, I'm not like trying it's it's not like my brain isn't trying to connect it to that realism. You know, it's the opposite side of, you know, the uncanny valley, so I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And I, I think I enjoy uh, fantastical and like surrealist things as well for for a similar reason of I guess I guess more for escapism for me, because I I enjoy very realistic movies as well. But I need I enjoy picking out the end, you know, of the movie <laughs> while the movie's going on. I love to like figure out how a writer is like what formula they're going for like all these different types of things and then figure out the end of the movie before the movie even happens like that's yeah, one of my yeah. favorite things so seeing a movie and especially this is like a thing that they've been doing horribly recently where everything needs to be extremely hyper realistic to a to a level where you're like this isn't realistic at all anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think and this is a show that I love very much, but I think a show that does this almost to an extent is The Boys, which I don't know if you've seen that. I love The Boys. Yeah, like I love that show, but to a degree, they've taken the hyper realistic part to a Mm -hmm. level where it becomes non-realistic again. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I adore it and I can't wait for season three and season two with like the ending sequence where like all three of them are just you know spoiler alert I've, I've talked about the show before but uh <laughs> on the show so anybody listening spoiler alert um like the ending where where uh you know uh starlight and the girl and mave are like beating down uh what's her name is one of the best scenes i had seen all year until invincible happened uh, oh god <laughs> i still like that train just uh just flashed in my mind <laughs> I love that we all, everyone who's seen that show might, yes, Stormfront, uh, yeah. might have PTSD from seeing that train sequence in Invincible. <laughs> oh, man. Like, because you were like, after you watch The Boys, you're like, okay, like, this is this is really, really fucked up. And, and then you watch Invincible and you're like, oh, God. Oh, my God. Because, like... Like, you know, Homelander is like a sociopath, but he's just kind of like a selfish idiot. Whereas like, you know, on um, <clears throat> uh, Invincible, Omni-Man is like fucking 
evil like he and he views humans as like ants and just like just has no like he just will just destroy them to make the smallest point you know just uh, it's just so sorry spoilers for invincible but i mean <laughs> it's at the end of the first episode that he's evil so spoiler for the first episode of invincible um but yeah just the, it, it always like it's that it's almost gave me the only ever show that really gave me that kind of just like feeling where i was so unsettled was probably full metal alchemist brotherhood or like the original full metal alchemist 2 where it's like they have like the the nina tucker um like where she gets combined with the dog and it's just like i'm still fucked oh. up about that yes yeah because like like you said i i and i we'll get to anime in a second since you since you do you, do you watch a lot of anime and not a ton like uh, i do yeah. a little bit like i i'm really into full metal brotherhood um and but i and i watch it like occasionally um i watched some like toonami and stuff back when i was a kid but um it's not my like number one genre but i i do i'll watch it you know okay yeah so okay we'll, we'll get to we'll get to anime stuff in a minute but um like yeah with invincible the like the omni-man turn because i've read the comics right I've, i haven't finished the full series yet because i think there's like eight volumes um because like 147 issues or whatever but i've read the first two volumes and like the way that they they parse it out a lot longer in the comics where like he's he's this good dad for like a hundred issues before the turn <laughs> and it it feels like you're betrayed like it really feels like a betrayal when you're reading the comics and in the show of course they sped it up for the sake of you know for the sake of narrative like hey let's just get this out of the way and it, yeah. I, I feel like it almost lends itself better in the show for like a different effect right like in the show you're you're thinking about how are they going to figure out that omni-man's evil how are they going to outsmart him and, and and defeat him or whatever and in the comics you're just like i can't believe my dad has stabbed me in the back this way right right <laughs> like, right after reading the comics i legitimately i went on a fishing trip with my father and i looked at him for a long <laughs> minute <laughs> and i was thinking about i was like is this man? Is oh this no! Man and my dad has that same mustache. Oh no! I didn't even think of that. <laughs> exactly. Like you know, I couldn't even. I couldn't bring myself to look at him for a, for a, for a while in the same light <laughs> after reading those comics. So, and I'm excited for for season two of Invincible. But before we get to anime, I want it because Omni Man messes this up so bad in the show. He messes up his bringing mark to his side like horribly yeah how what would be your speech doesn't have to be long it could be three words what would be your speech to get mark to join you <laughs> uh i mean i don't know it's because he's so e i don't know you're asking me to relate to this like horrible <laughs> evil fucking character like i don't think there is a good answer to that because i think i think the thing is like mark like and I know it's I haven't read the graphic novels, but I know it is different in the graphic novels. But he is so much more like his mom in the show than he is like he's physically like his dad. But like emotionally and like, you know, just his kind of mental state, he is a lot more, you know, like his mom, the character played by Sandra Oh. So I, I don't I don't know if they're like, I really I don't have a pitch. I like I just straight up like. Like, you know, I don't think there is a way that at that point you can get Mark on board with you other than just like, you know, doing what he kind of tried to do, which is just like, you know, threaten the people that he loves, you know? Um, yeah. 
I see. I just I love asking people that because, like you said, Omni Man is a absolute horrible character. There is, there is, <laughs> there is like zero redeemable factors to Omni Man until like literally the end of the last episode. Mm-hmm. But you know, but to see where people's brains go is one of the funniest things whenever I ask them, like, how would you get him to join you? Because people immediately try and come up with an idea, right? Like, they, <laughs> they scramble to be like, uh, I, I, I'll give, I'll try and get him to think, think about Amber and like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and barter. And then <laughs> like the classic thing, you know, with the supervillains is just like, oh, if you don't, you know, like, uh, if you if you join if you don't join me, I'll like, you know, kill, you know, this person you love or whatever. And that's something that I always I just never like that. The hero always goes for that. I'm like, well, if you're going to take over the entire world, then they're going to be dead in a little bit anyway. Plus the whole rest of the world or whatever, you know, it's going to be oppressed. And uh, so I, I just kind of hate that trope. Oh, yeah, I, I very much hate that trope. Like in I read because uh, I have. Uh, no joke, I have about 27 tabs of AO3 open on my cell phone. Um, <laughs> and most of them are Bat family related. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. And about three of them are for uh, Alcina Dimitrescu from <laughs> Resident Evil Village. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, outing myself before anyone else could out me. Um, <laughs> But I read one this morning where someone had essentially it was an entire fan fiction where the Bat family is captured by a villain and the villain's like, you got to choose somebody to kill. You know, they're like given a gun. They're like, you got to shoot somebody. And each it's like a thought, a thought process of like each of the characters. So Jason, of course, like shoots himself. He's like, I got to shoot somebody in the family. Right. All right. I'll shoot me. And then the rest of them are like, it's, it's trying to figure out who who would pick who because there's no other way out of it. and. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that to a degree, right? But I think, like you said, a lot of movies and television and and even books take it to a level where it's like, but it doesn't work anymore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like self-sacrifice is great. It's it's one of the best, you know, the 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 heights that a hero can reach, right? Like I think um Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man for all the faults that those movies have I think the level of self-sacrifice that he goes to is admirable and is great and is shown very well in those movies but then you have like every single Expendables movie or like (laughs) most action films starring Schwarzenegger and and like all these guys where somebody goes well fight me with your hands right and then they get their weapons and they're like all right let's do this one-on-one no (laughs) Come on, no, Jean-Claude you. Van Damme, it's a fight to the death. Yeah, and it's like, I'm not going to fist fight you. I'm not that confident in my fist fighting abilities as a hero to throw my weapons down when I have all the guns and you have no bullets. <laughs> well, that's why one of the most iconic scenes in film history and a scene that it instantly tells you everything you need to know about this character, who is now one of the pillars of pop culture, is the scene in Indiana Jones in the Raiders of the Lost Ark when, you know, you have the guy and he's like, and he like spins around the sword and he just kind of like, he like very, he just like almost tiredly just pulls out his gun and just shoots the guy in the street and he just kind of like walks away. It's just, that's such a good scene and it tells you everything you need to know about Indy and what this kind of character is and what this kind of movie is, you know? Yes, like 100%. I completely understand what you're saying because it's like, it, it's it's one of those things where 
um it's almost here's here's where we're gonna get to anime it's almost like anime right where anime very much it much like those movies they forget about power levels or forget about skills and all these types mm-hmm. of things and it's based purely in the narrative and what the narrative is needed at the moment which which in some cases can work because i think stan lee or uh or toriyama or somebody might have said this at one point where whoever because it was somebody was talking about like well who would win between you know spider-man and somebody or Goku it is, and yeah somebody. it's stanley yeah who said this okay yeah and he was like the winner is, is based off of who the writer wants to win and also off the the story that's trying to be told you know <laughs> like, yeah and it's very well, true who would win between the hulk and thor well whoever <laughs> whoever the writer needs to win that was more of a bernie than than stanley but whatever yeah you know and it's like it it's it's true in a lot of cases and i think that's like that annoys everybody to a degree because you know it's taken yeah. a bit far with with characters like batman you know where it's like they never lose and yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know uh but and i think it's done very well in most cases not with one more day i don't know how much about comic books you know derek i do know about one more day um <laughs> uh what, what are your thoughts on one more day if i might ask um, uh i think that yeah it's bad um <laughs> like i think that retconning like everything about spider-man and just being like it's just and to make it just like it's like oh yeah all this stuff that you like i i just hate like how like there's a lot of been a lot of like weird retcons with spider-man over the years and that is kind of just one of the most notorious ones where they're like, yeah, he like everybody knows who he is and blah, blah, blah. And like, like he's getting sued by J. Jonas Jameson. Like he forgets about his wife, but he thinks that it's just I don't know, just uh, it just it it really doesn't work at all. It it is. It's something that grinds my gears every day that I think about it. Like, <laughs> I actively have to not think about one more day or brand new day on most days. And I've yeah. listen, <laughs> I've been a bad Spider-Man fan in certain ways because I love Superior Spider-Man and I get flack for that on the daily. <laughs> I mean, that's a. I honestly like I, I don't mind Superior Spider-Man. I think that's a really interesting concept. Um, it's just like it's like, yeah, Doc Ock and Spider-Man switch bodies and now Doc Ock. Like, I mean, like, it's a really good suit. Like, that might be my favorite Spidey suit other than like the classic black suit, which is great. But um, yes, yeah. <laughs> I love this. I love that you because it's, it's it's like a it's like an upgrade to the Scarlet Spider suit. Yeah, that yeah, did. And I love that suit so much with and like, I know it wasn't really Peter Parker. It was like another clone of some other guy. But like, come on, but <laughs> as many clones as Peter Parker's had. And I do love the the Ben Riley suit as well with like the the cut off denims mm-hmm. like vest. Like that was that was the coolest Spider-Man suit that I could think of. That was like... so 90s. <laughs> yes. In my adolescent brain, that was the coolest suit. It was anyone could ever have. Azazel in like Batman, how they were just like, we're just going to make this guy real 90s right now. And yeah, it was it was definitely that for sure. Yes. And I, I love I love Azazel and, and like the the John Paul Valley run of Batman is one of my favorite Batman runs. <laughs> he's so he's so bad at being batman but i love it so much but like i and that's one thing i loved about the ps4 spider-man game was that you could get all these different suits and they had like the the brit the british spider-man like the punk spider-man and they had the ben riley costume as well which they also had in the 
Spider-Man game from 2002, 2003, something like that for, for, for Xbox. And when I tell you, I got the cheat code for that game real fast to get that <laughs> really soon. <laughs> nice, nice. No, I get that because I'm, I'm playing game. through Breath of the Wild right now. And I'm like, OK, got to get like, I got the DLC. So I'm like, let me go get the Wind Waker shirt and let me go get like, you know, Majora's Mask. I can wear that. And it's over here. Or let me get, you know, uh, the, like, the you know, the mask from Twilight Princess is over here. And here's Phantom Ganon's. So I, I totally get what you're just saying, because I haven't I, haven't, I, I do need to play it at some point, but I haven't gotten around to playing the um, Spider-Man uh ps4 game but i have it going through the same thing with uh breath of the wild which i just finally picked up like i know you know years behind but yeah no no you don't don't feel bad i picked up breath of the wild two years ago um because i that was when i first got a switch too i was way behind on the switch thing because i i own a psp and a ps vita so (laughs) so i i saw the switch as like the next version of that which like anybody who knows like psp god tier video game system like absolute top of the line i don't think i'll ever own another system that i love as much as i loved the psp okay interesting (laughs) oh were you not a were you not a psp fan i i mean i didn't like hate it but like i was all about my my ds like i like my brother had a psp and he was kind of like i played a little bit i was like yeah this is fine but like oh my god like the hours that i've played on my 3ds just like you know just hundreds of hours just like you know on stuff like you know obviously all the pokemon games you know starting with like diamond and going all the way up to you know the 3ds games and then you know like the advanced wars games and just like i i i would just take that in high school i would just take my ds like everywhere i went like i'd be like out like a family dinner and my mom be like put your ds away i'm like okay okay let me just beat this guy real fast you know i i I would i just love 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 the ds it was i think it's you know like nintendo is very you know i think part of the big reason they're so hit or miss is because they're always like we're gonna try like something weird and innovative and different and sometimes it doesn't work like the Wii U, like or the, the Wii U. What was the one between the Switch and the Wii U? It was something it was like the oh, Wii U, right? The Wii U Lite or something like that. Or it, yeah. was, it was some weird thing. <laughs> yeah, like nobody had that. I, I actually think I might have had it and like never even played it really because I just got it because I wanted to get Mario Kart. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, like but then, you know, for for every one of those they have, that's just like a total failure. They have like five where they're like, here's the Wii, or like here's the original Wii where like, you know, like it's got motion controls or here's like the DS where it has two screens. You can do so much stuff with that, you know, and now it's the switch, how they like do can do all this interesting stuff with the switch. And it's kind of like a half tablet, half like controller, half like actual system on its own. So I really like I thought this great. um thing it was from years back and it was like showing the different video game company controllers like side by side and it was like um nintendo and it was just like constantly innovating and it was like the playstation it was like how every controller is exactly the same it's like if it isn't broken don't fix it and then it was like xbox and it was just like fuck if we know um but uh, <laughs> like i just really think that encapsulates you know like like the two different um approaches that sony and nintendo have is like 
Sony's like, okay, we've got something that works and we're going to stick with it. And like, I respect that. It makes sense. Like, that's awesome. If you have something that works and you know it's going to be good, go with it. And it's a safe, fun bet. Like, and but then Nintendo is like, we're going to do something wild. This is going to be kind of weird and maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But if it does work, you're going to have a lot of fun with it. And so that's why I've always kind of been like a Nintendo guy, because I just love the weird stuff they pull off. I can I can see that. See, I, I've mostly been uh, like I'm sure probably you have as well, a, a much more handheld console gamer um, because I, did, you know, I was constantly going places. So I had the Game Boy Advance and then the Game mm-hmm. Boy Advance SP, which I still have. I still have that thing. I have a yeah. little briefcase for it. I've got like it still works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to take that thing with me everywhere. Like you took your DS, right? Because it had uh, I had like Mario, you know, you had like I had traded games with people. So none of the games that i have for the the game boy advance sp are the games that i bought with it (laughs) (laughs) and i have like i don't even know where i got this and it took so long for me to convince people that this was real i had to show somebody this once i have a copy for the game boy advance sp a cartridge for the sonic x television show (laughs) and people were like every single time Yes, every single time I told people about this, like you, you know, this is after the the Game Boy Advance SP stopped being a thing on the shelves, and mm-hmm. I would tell people I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I had like I had like a show for that," and they'd be like, "No, no, you didn't." Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> like, no, I totally did. They were like, "No, no, 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 don't lie to me." I was like, "No," but like they it, they were like, "The Game Boy Advance SP doesn't it doesn't allow you to watch shows." And I had to pull this thing out and like pop this cartridge in and be like, "Watch it." <laughs> I, I oh that's so good okay I saw somebody like recently had um like we're gonna I'm gonna show you guys how um Chris Nolan intended you to watch Tenet and that's on a Game Boy Advance SP and he had done it where he put it on like it was over the course of like five cartridges and it's just like horrible quality it's the funniest thing like you you and like he explained like you know I'm not like I love video games but and like I don't really know that much about like the tech side like yeah. you know I'm like the most I know about it like it was just what I've been self-taught about like just like microphones and podcasting so I don't know any of that stuff um but yeah so like it's really really interesting if you can like find it on youtube check it out just like guy putting all of um all of tenant on like, the game boy advance sp it's the funniest thing which oh i gotta watch that because i recently i watched tenant recently and i don't know how you feel about it but i felt i was conflicted about it because okay, it's, me too me too <laughs> i had a lot of mixed feelings about it i'm glad we're on the same page here (laughs) it felt like because to me i'm not the biggest fan of interstellar or even inception and i understand how that feels to a lot of people to say (laughs) yeah yeah to say that the narrative of both of those movies mainly interstellar i feel like uh inception holds together a lot better than interstellar Mm -hmm. did for me but i feel like in the last act of interstellar it it starts to fall apart to me (laughs) And I felt that way about Tenet to a degree. (laughs) See, here's the distinction that I'll draw between Tenet and Interstellar. Like, I really love Inception. I I thought it was one of my favorite movies of that decade. I do like Interstellar a lot, too. Um, I I actually I know I understand people's criticisms of like the final act, but I actually like it. And I think the reason that the final act works for me is because like a lot of times Nolan is kind of a filmmaker where he it becomes kind of about the nuts and the bolts of the universe and like how things work and like. Okay, so like in, in uh, you know, in Inception, you kind of like it's this very heady like science fiction film about going to dreams and you have to know how the levels work and stuff like that. Um, 
and then with you know interstellar it's like about going to space and how like time is getting warped and things and then obviously in tenants about like time going backwards and stuff um but the advantage that like in that the thing that works in um inception and also interstellar is that like these characters they have personal stakes and they have a personal mm. like goal and relationship that is directly tied to what they're trying to do you know in inception he is tr- doing this job you know because he not for any like altruistic reasons about like trying to break up this you know mega corporation or anything he's doing this so he can get back to his family like there's a deep emotional core in it and the same thing with interstellar like he's doing it for murph you know he keeps you know murph murph you know through the whole movie um and like that's what that whole third act is about is like him you know like you know it might not work it might work but like that it does have that emotional core of him trying to get back to his daughter and like you know make have her have a future and have a be able to have a life whereas like this one there is no there's none of that like he's just doing this job because he needs to do it like he needs to just kind of do it to save the world but he has the only character that has any personal stakes in it is elizabeth Debicki's character and about her son who yeah. is barely like we don't even see him or know him or connect to him and we're not even really that connected to elizabeth Debicki. she's like a very secondary character in the film um so there's no and he doesn't really have like john david washington's character doesn't even have a name he's just referred to as the protagonist and there's one moment at the end of the film one brief moment where you do start to get emotional um you know about some stuff between characters and i won't spoil it here but um you know it is between uh the protagonist and edward cullen's character edward cullen fuck um um, oh my gosh why am I saying he's Batman? Batman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, he's an actor. I res- I don't know why I called Matt McCullough because he's an incredible actor, and that's clearly Robert his Pattinson. Worst film. Thank you, Robert Pattinson. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Um, but there's a moment between the two of them that really does hit on an emotional level. But it's not. It's like after everything is resolved, there's no tension like leading up to it. Um, you don't really get emotionally invested in what he's doing other than just like, yeah, we want to save the world. You know, you're not like, you don't have a reason to connect with him on a deeper level. And that's what really, like, I do like the kind of like fun sci-fi elements, but to really raise like a, like a movie like that to a next level, you need to have characters that you actually care about whether or not they live or die. 100%. Now like with like with Tenet, I, anybody listening who hasn't seen it, I would definitely recommend watching it. It is worth a watch. Like yeah, <laughs> just yeah. for just for the cinematography, just for like the the narrative is tight. Like I mm-hmm. like it is a very tight narrative and like everything kind of, you know, it it hits its points. But, but like you said, there's there wasn't enough emotional depth for me. There wasn't and the the idea of the idea of like i guess a loop or whatever um has kind of it for me at the time when i watched it i think it had felt overdone because i'm a i'm a big doctor who fan so of i course, could tell by your your yeah your <laughs> screen name here yeah so of course there's there's a time during the tenet and during the moffat years and even after i think it's i think it's ended now with the new joey whitaker season but from tenet up up until uh I forget his name. Uh, the 12th doctor who Peter Capaldi. That's who it is. Um, oh, angry old man, doctor. Yes. Angry old man, doctor from tenant to Capaldi. There's, there's this running th- storyline. There's this running B story between the doctor and river song. 
where where they're kind of you know they're going backwards against each other constantly like right his future is her past and it's it's constantly running where they're trying to figure out well what part of their timelines are they synced up at and they're trying to figure out how much time they have left before you know one of them hasn't met the other yet right so and while i was watching tenet that kept going on in my head (laughs) Mm. so i think it dulled it a little bit for me while i was watching it because i couldn't i couldn't get that out of my head that i had seen that sort of thing before and i was like ah but you know you you start comparing things and i was like ah but i like i like the way that that the doctor who episode of this the, the library did it better and like you know no i i totally <laughs> get you because i had the same exact experience but for i'm a really big lost fan um and oh. the way they handle time travel in season five of lost is like the way it's exactly the same as this where it's like they go back in time and they're like okay like is this a causal loop though like are the things we're doing like they're like okay we're gonna try and change the past but in doing that we actually have created exactly what we were trying to avert like there's you know small spoilers for lost but there's like they see one of the main like the main kind of antagonist for like you know the first couple seasons ben linus they see him as a little kid and it kind of becomes that like would you kill baby hitler debate and like one of the characters like yeah i'm gonna do it and he like shoots him and so like by but by doing that they kind of like set him on the dark path he survives that and like he becomes and like all these things they do like the final episode is like them trying to prevent this like incident which has been like you know like a cornerstone of the whole show and then they're like by trying to prevent this incident maybe they're going to cause it and um you know that kind of like directly leads into season six but and they even tenant even like cribs um something that uh lost said where they like um there's a physicist who keeps saying whatever happened happened talking about you know time travel and loss and they directly crib that exact phrase in tenant and i'm like okay so i've heard this before I, that is my favorite kind of time travel i like it where it's like yeah, it's set in stone. Like you went, if you went and time traveled back in the past, you've always done that. The only other show that I've or anything like that, that I've seen that really does that is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, mm. I think that time travel in that is really handled well about how he goes back and kind of like all the things you see him do, and um, you, he kind of in the earlier chapters you see that he caught like causes them later when he goes back and time travels back and he sees himself. Um, I think that's handled really well. Of course, like the cursed child messes time travel up and doesn't follow the rules that she established anymore so that's why i think it's kind of not really canon um <laughs> a crazy person uh but that was really like tenant um harry potter and um lost are really they're kind of the only ones that do this specific kind of time is set in stone rules that i really do enjoy from time travel a lot because you know otherwise if you can change anything you know it lessens the stakes i feel like in a lot of stuff Oh yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That's like I think I think the reason why I can still because like you said, when when you can change things, it lessens the stakes, right? But in certain cases, I think I I can still live with it. Like uh, you know, Doctor Who, they change a lot of stuff, but there's certain things where they set a cause, they set a clause in there where they were like certain stuff is set in stone. You can't mm-hmm. change certain things. You can like figure out a way around it you know like where there's there's a whole season arc where they're like hey i'm the doctor's gonna die you know and there's like there's nothing we can do to stop it we've kept trying to change it we've kept trying to do all this stuff there's nothing we can do to stop the doctor dying and then they figure out a way around it where he still dies 
and there's no like regeneration for that situation, but they come out the other side with him intact. Right. And like, mm. I like things like that where it's like, okay, you've, you've completed the loop. Cause that's why I didn't, I enjoyed Endgame, but I didn't enjoy that aspect of Endgame, like the whole time travel bit, especially at the end with like Captain America situation. That was, <laughs> that was least favorite of mine. Um, where you've closed the loop out and then you've continued on because I think, one of the best shows that that ends horribly ends horribly <laughs> but that began with a good premise of time travel was heroes <laughs> oh yeah season one of heroes is <laughs> is stellar it's great and um then the rest is some hot garbage <laughs> like it Did instantly you? gets like season two episode one and it's real downhill <laughs> Because they just resolved everything, and then they resolved everything in season one. There was, you know, people love to give Lost like all this crap for like having all these mysteries that like lasted seasons. But it's like you see, if you do the opposite of that, you just answer every single thing at the end of the season. It's like, well, what do we do now? I don't know. Just introduce a bunch more characters that were never around or referenced before, but now they're super important. And just heroes just had that great first season, and then just was just like never good again like not even a little is it yeah like this is did you ever happen to see the continuation sequel series for heroes i never did Ooh, was it any good it was not okay. <laughs> yeah that's the kind of vibe i got so i was like yeah i've been burned enough times by heroes i watched for like three more seasons that i should have i'm not going back to this no, definitely. Like it, it had a. I'll give the sequel series this. It had a good first episode mm. where I was, I was drawn in. They, they picked up the slack from where heroes kind of messed up pretty well, and was like, okay, we've got, we've got a ball to roll here. And then from then on, they hacked that ball up and just threw it away. <laughs> yeah, that, that's some of the most frustrating time travel i think ever in heroes because it like they had that whole arc where they're like they're going to like save the future or whatever and then he like leaves his girlfriend in the future and then it just, like <laughs> never gets mentioned again because the writer's strike happened they're like well we're just doing something else now it just frustrates me to this day i'm just like oh i don't know just yeah but so speaking of the mcu and uh the time travel that you didn't like in endgame how do you feel about the way they're handling like time travel and time stuff in loki um going off of that i think i i'm enjoying the way that they're handling it in loki after the, watching the first episode to the second one right like i mm. i think i had the same reaction that a lot of people had to wandavision to loki <laughs> okay where it took me a couple of episodes before i was like okay i can get into this because like marvel is very good at retconning and writing themselves out of corners that they've initially <laughs> written themselves into <laughs> yes they they are very good at that <laughs> whereas like a lot of things like studios like you know or you know other you know shows or whatever they'll just kind of like like we just said heroes they'll just like oh this happened but we're just never going to mention it again but Marvel will be like, oh, this thing that happened like eight movies ago that you that was kind of weird. Well, we just will we'll do this thing. And it'll totally change it, you know, and it, you'll see it in a different light. And it makes sense now. Exactly. And like because I'm, I'm sure plenty of other people probably had the same criticism that I did about the end of Endgame and the kind of because I was I was angry, not because of like a time travel perspective. I was mad because it, it felt wrong for Captain mm. America's character to to do that. You know, <laughs> I, I was really conflicted because I 
I felt such a catharsis. Like I felt so emotionally good. Like it was like so good to see him finally after struggling all these years to be reunited with his great lost love, Peggy. I, I it just felt so good. But that does kind of ruin the ending of Captain America one, because I'm also a big sucker for the movies where they have, they don't get together at the end. Like I love those kind of brief encounter mm. mo- romance movies. Those are my favorite kind of movies. Um, and to, you know, see just like, like it kind of ruins it um, in the same way that like before sunset ruins before sunrise or, bef- or before sun. Yeah, before sunset ruins before um, sunrise. Beca- but like I think bef- they're both great films, but I think sunset is a better movie. So I'm like, OK, this I'm glad this exists, even though it kind of ruined the other thing, because this is actually while both are good, this new thing is better. And I do kind of feel the same way about the ending of Endgame. I'm like, okay, they kind of ruined that like brief encounter thing with having them get together. I'm okay with it though, overall. Yeah, because my 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 brain was thinking because I love Agent Carter as well. The the show, such a good show, really underrated show. Yes, which kind of like you know that that entire thing almost ruins Agent Carter for me as well because I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, but there's this whole situation, and even in the MCU, they're like, hey, she marries somebody else, and you know, she has mm-hmm. you know, she has a family and whatever, and may, like that was part of it, and then it was also part of like Captain America's story has been letting go of the past, right, mm-hmm. and and it's it's a good thing that Captain America's story is that sort of situation because he's meant to represent. Uh, the best that America can be. And his his entire story is like, hey, let's make right what was done wrong by Hydra and by all these, and, you know, by the government, essentially, because his main villain is usually the government. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like his, his story arc throughout the MCU, to me, has always seemed like, let's make right what was done wrong in the past when we had the chance to do it and do it right. And then we did it wrong. Let's do it right now. And then let's also let go of the things that we can't change so that we can move forward. And then they were like, well, what if he just threw that entire character arc away? <laughs> no, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I do think that it kind of, yeah, ruins, like I was saying, his, his arc, in the, especially the first movie. But I think in Endgame, in a vacuum, it works, but not for his, like you were saying, his character arc overall. Yeah, like, and it's uh, it's uh, like I enjoyed that it opened up the the door for Anthony Mackie to become ta- Captain America. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. I loved Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That was oh, prime show, prime TV. Yeah, um, it was good stuff. And, oh yeah, I've been waiting for years ever since uh, Red, White, and Black came out as a comic book. I've been waiting to see like Isaiah Bradley or Patriot on like on in in you know in like uh in real life or whatever um Mm -hmm. for years and i was like oh finally got it (laughs) yeah yeah so that was really cool yeah like i'm excited to see where that goes i'm excited to to, of course to see uh you know shang chi and when that finally comes out i'm like oh yay um and I, i like i've seen that black widow is getting panned for a few things and i hope i really hope it does well because if that if that doesn't do well Oh, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of uphill battles to come honestly yeah it's, it's gonna be no, stressful. yeah <laughs> but um yeah so it, it's almost 5 40 we've gone for an hour and 40 minutes this is 
a very long episode, but at the end of the episode, I always ask people to give recommendations for what uh, what they think people should read, what they think people should watch, what they think people should listen to, anything that you want to recommend people uh, people you know consume in content. Uh, let them know what what your recommendations are. <laughs> Okay, I mean, um, well, as far as a book, one that I just finished that was really quite good was um, I read The Book Thief, which is, you know, an older book now. Uh, that was really good. Um, but for sticking to movies, um, one that I was, okay, so I don't even know if you would technically classify it as a movie, but I, I call it a movie. Um, it's called, it's a YouTube series of kind of video essays by uh, John Boyce and Alex Rubenstein, and it's called The History of the Seattle Mariners. And it is, it's like a base, you know, they kind of got me thinking about it when we were talking about baseball movies. It's a baseball, like, documentary, and it's all done in just, like, kind of charts and stuff like that. And it will make you feel, like, me being an Angels fan, like, I, the Mariners are the rivals, but I, I felt this, it's just this story of these, like, these weirdos and this, like, team that has been through so much adversity. And that's the one thing that, like, I was kind of like, I almost would, if I was making a baseball movie, I almost would want to do it where a team doesn't win at the end. Um, that And, you know, obviously, the, you know, spoiler alert through something that's actually real life, but the Mariners have never won the World <laughs> Series. It goes through all these ups and downs they've had over the years and just in this really unique, interesting way that just makes you, you feel something so emotional. And I think it's kind of like the, the opposite side of the coin of the last answers is about these winners. Like this is about the ultimate losers. And it's just so like, there's no interviews where anybody is just like two guys telling the story of these people using, you know, charts and very lo-fi stuff. Um, I, I can't recommend it enough. Go on YouTube. Um, SB nation. Um, uh, the history of the Seattle Mariners. just search that on YouTube. You'll see it. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Um, for this week, uh, I would rececommend going to um i don't know play play some video games uh play i've been uh the steam steam summer sale is on right now go go get get you some stuff. I spent two and a half hours in the character creator for Black Desert online the other day <laughs> It is the most in depth character creator I've ever seen in my life. You can change every single muscle on the body it is insane it's over the top and it's only 99 cents so even if like if you got a buck just check it out just to see that <laughs> and just to just remind me talk about sales uh any film buffs out there um starting um you know today so i don't know when this episode is going to drop but um you know right now um for the next couple weeks at barnes and noble if you're a big film fan um like the criterion movies are all on sale and i know people wait like all year for this all criterion movies are half off so if you want to get anything Criterion, um, I will say I do work at Barnes & Noble and these people kind of ruin my life a little bit. Because they come. <laughs> um, but uh, I am definitely going to be picking up some of my own Criterion stuff. Last time they did the sale, I got the Criterion for the Princess Bride. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're kind of just if anybody doesn't know, Criterion does these really not good additions with all these, you know, like kind of um, they clean up the films and we'll do all these great special features for a lot of just kind of iconic movies like Parasite was one they did recently. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I think is one I'm going to try and pick up this time. Um, but yeah, if you like Criterion, um, now's the time to get it half off because they're, they're pricey. They're like usually like 40 bucks. So they're like the price of a normal DVD right now, pretty much. Oh, nice. OK, yeah, I got to stop by Barnes and Noble to, to grab some yeah. of that um yeah but derek we've reached the point where you tell everybody where they can follow you around the internet 
Yeah. Okay. So, um, like I said, uh, check out my show underrated on, you know, any podcast app. Um, you can also follow the show, um, at undercast company, um, to find out like what we're going to episodes we're going to do or anything. Or if you just want to follow me on Instagram, just it's Derek's photos. That's D E R I C K underscore or D E R I C K S underscore photos on Instagram. Um, and, uh, or, you know, pretty much. And, uh, yeah, just if you want to follow me, that'd be cool. <laughs> oh, cool. I take it you do some photography? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't do a ton of stuff anymore, but, um, you know, especially this last year, I haven't really. But, um, yeah, that's where you'll see any kind of, like, my cooler photos or just whatever. Oh, cool, yeah. I just got a Canon 250D, so I'm, I'm like, nice, <laughs> nice. around. Yeah, it's, it's a, it, I was just going to say, it's a lot of, like, um, my me being at, like, uh, a lot of music festivals because I'm a big festival guy, so it's a lot of, like, you know, like, here's the killers or whatever it might be. Oh, yes. Uh, number one, killer's great. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, like I, um, I definitely, once everything kind of is back to operational, um, I definitely plan on getting out there because I, I used to do photography in high school for like classes mm. or whatever, you know. And then in college, they have like, you know, they're like, hey, you want to you wanna film stuff? Uh, <laughs> so I'm glad to like actually have a camera for me now and I can do Nice, that. nice. Uh, but yeah, um, if you want to follow me, you can do that on the Twitter at Morgan L. Brooks, um, on the Instagram at Morgan L. underscore Brooks, or to follow my photography stuff adventures, you can do that at Hidden Time L, H I D D E N T I M E L. Uh, for gaming content or whatever else, uh, you can find me on Twitch, TikTok, YouTube, SoundCloud for cool jams that you would like to listen to at hidden time lord h-i-d-d-e-n-t-i-m-e-l-o-r-d um thank you for listening derek thank you for coming on this is a very fun time oh i had a blast thanks for having me on man this is great <laughs> yeah um we we appreciate you listening person i appreciate you uh coming and you know listening to this of course um and share it with your friends share it with your enemies share it with your family share it with people you love and share it with people you hate put it on a billboard if you want to spray paint it on a wall don't do that that's illegal uh <laughs> But share it around and do the thing. Um, but as always, I appreciate you. Um, and thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>